Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. The woman you are about to meet has the coolest title ever, Chief Happiness Spreader. That's right. Her career, her life's work has been about empowerment and creativity and turning hardship into moments of joy. Her name is Liz Powers, and this is her story. Liz, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You chief happiness spreader, you. <laughs> We're shining a light on art lifting today. So tell me what your organization does. I know you're a socially conscious business. Tell me about it. Art lifting connects artists who are homeless or have disabilities with corporate customers. Helping them make some money. Make money, but even more importantly, build confidence and know that their talents are valued by other people. To see this incredible work, all of our listeners and viewers just have to go to artlifting.com. I want our listeners, though, to get to know you, to see what makes you tick. So before we get into the meat of the interview, we're going to do what we call Candio's Lightning Round. Are you ready? Ready. Best song ever, never get sick of it. Uh, I want to dance with somebody. Book or movie that changed your view? Tuesdays with Maury. Duncan or Starbucks? Neither. Oh, no coffee for you. Mm-mm. Tea? I like tea. Okay. Yeah. What kind of tea do you like? Peppermint. Okay. Food you can't say no to? My grandmother's mac and cheese. Uh, listen or speak? Listen. Lead or follow? Lead. Favorite vacation destination? Or a place you love to go to just unwind? Well, Cape Cod. Those were great answers. So let's jump into your interview. Tell me a little bit about uh, your college years and, and how the issue of homelessness, the interest in working in shelters, where did all of this start? I went to Harvard College, and Harvard Square is full with a very large homeless population. So when I was 18, I just wanted to give back a little bit and started flipping pancakes at the local shelter, um, helping provide breakfast. Then the rest of college, I did social work, so helping clients one-on-one. -on -one access housing, jobs, food resources. And during those four years, I learned a lot. So many of my clients desperately wanted a job, but due to mental health challenges or other reasons, a nine to five just wasn't a fit. So I thought, how can I redefine what a quote unquote job is in order to include more people in the economy? I didn't have an answer, just that question in the back of my head for years had a winding path when I realized, oh my gosh, selling artwork could be a way to redefine what a job is. I know there was a point in your college career or maybe just post-grad when you're able to apply for a grant. Talk to me about that. After four years of social work, I really saw so many clients who were lonely and I thought, I've been an artist my whole life. Why don't I create art groups and local shelters as a way to build community and as kind of a non-awkward space to build trust? Harvard paid my quote-unquote salary for the year to start up art groups and shelters as my full-time job. And that's when everything clicked. You talk about being a lifelong artist. What does art mean to you? Art's an amazing outlet. I used to be a portrait artist. Listen, if you were once, you always will be, right? <laughs> I just haven't been creating portraits lately. Okay. Tell me a little bit about that. Did you discover that as a child, and was that nurtured at home? 
Yeah, so my mom's an artist um, and also an interior designer. Creativity has just been in the blood my whole life, especially in high school. I loved creating portraits. Was there ever a time that you thought maybe art was just going to be what you were going to do with your life? Well, that was always a dream. I didn't know how realistic it was for making a living off of it and, you know, putting food on the table. Mm-hmm. I've been really blessed to find a job where I can be surrounded by creativity and also put food on the table. Art therapy. Let's talk a little bit about that, because I think based on what I've learned about you is that when you got the grant from Harvard, you created art therapy groups in shelters. What did you see? It was a pretty magical time. I was creating art groups in local women's shelters in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I was mostly working with victims of domestic violence. Mm. So incredible strength, um, incredible resilience. But obviously there are challenges within that population. It took a really long time to earn trust, for example. One thing that was really apparent in the first week of starting up these art groups was the talent that I was surrounded by raw talent. This wasn't an art class where I was teaching people how to create. I would just throw art supplies on the table and say, if someone, yeah, if someone was really stumped, then I would say paint hope. And it was amazing to see the variety of things that people created from a portrait to a sunset to hills to abstract colors. What do you want people to know about the issue of homelessness? about what you have observed among the homeless population for over 10 years? I think the most important thing is to have more empathy. Oftentimes, people have the stereotype of homeless people are lazy. Why don't you just get a job? But after about 13 years working with individuals who desperately want a job but can't get it due to their disability or their circumstance, I think it, you know, it helped all of us build community if people are more understanding. One statistic that most people are unaware of is 50% of homeless women have experienced domestic violence at some point. Just a little bit of soaking up the data and realizing the resilience that these individuals have been through would it's help a, a lot. It's an interesting thing about homelessness when you're leaving a home because you have to, because it's not safe for you to stay there. Mm -hmm. The Americans with Disabilities Act changed things dramatically when it was passed in 1992, I believe. But we have more work to do. Talk to me a little bit about what your thoughts are there. The vast majority of individuals who experience disabilities, whether it's physical or mental health, are unemployed. I think we have so much work to do to think creatively about How can we include this huge population in the economy? How can we be a little bit more open about our definitions of jobs? And what talents does this population have that are currently invisible? And how can we make them visible? So you are a social worker. Are you a licensed independent clinical social worker? I'm not. No, I was just doing as an undergrad alongside professional social workers. So you have formal training, though, as a social worker. So Mm -hmm. I guess what I want to know is you've talked to us a little bit about when you were a, a girl growing up. You know, your mom's an artist. You loved working in art, but wondered how you were going to turn that into a job. When did social work occur to you? How did that happen? I wish I could say it was a big plan, (laughs) but I was really just a freshman at Harvard, and 
fell in love with a sociology class that had 10 students in it. And I loved the concept of small class sizes and the subject matter. That was the path that I took for all of college, and most of my studies focused on class disparities and poverty alleviation. It was really just a a winding, unplanned road that led me that way. In 2013, the road also took a little bit of a shift. You and your brother, his name is Spencer, Mm -hmm. decided that you were going to create art lifting. So you'd been working in the field for a while. You were working with homeless and disabled people. You had a chance to see what artwork did for them in these art therapy experiences that you had created. Was there, though, Liz, a light bulb moment for you when you said, I have to create an organization that will support this? Take me back to that moment. There were two light bulb moments. One was when I was starting up art groups in local homeless shelters. You know, I was aware how naive I was. I was 22. I was like, I need to learn from experts. So I ran around the city and got to meet licensed art therapists and was shocked to find out there were six existing art groups in homeless shelters in the Boston area alone. That was a big light bulb moment of, oh my goodness, I just applied for this grant talking about how art therapy in shelters was a need. Really, am I just duplicating resources that I could have been referring people to? But then I thought a little bit deeper and realized, wait, if I've been in the field and I don't know about these groups, then a normal person outside the field has no idea. The second light bulb moment was seeing the amazing artwork in these groups literally stuffed in closets, and a lot of the work was saleable. So it was just a no-brainer of, okay, we need to create a marketplace to curate this top art and sell it to individuals and corporations. So then how does your brother come in? Because I'm trying to envision that you sat him down at, like, at a family dinner and said, you need to do this with me. <laughs> um, so She laughs. Maybe not. <laughs> Originally, it was just the two of us, and I was the chief happiness spreader, <laughs> and he was the chief boring stuff doer. The chief boring, okay, the chief boring stuff doer? Yes. This is great. I love this. Okay. So we teamed up. He helped an annual art show out that I had started that brought together the two art groups that I ran and the six existing art groups and shelters. And we were actually driving up to my grandmother's house after one of the shows, and we realized there were three needs. One was this art show is only once a year. How can we make it every day of the year? Two was we're only helping people in Boston, and there are about a 1,000 existing art groups across the country and shelters. And then three was we're only helping people make money once off each piece of art by selling originals. But how can we sell prints or license the art to help people make unending amounts from each piece? That 45-minute car ride up to northern Massachusetts really helped spur the idea and helped art lifting be born. You started out with four artists. Tell me about those early days where you were able then to get the word out, and you now have over 100 artists. Yeah, so the early days, my brother and I just put in 2,000 of our savings to start up the company. We had no website experience, but we just Googled how to create a website, used an online platform, just wrote to reporters. So we'd write four-sentence emails to reporters. But the artist stories were so compelling 
We were able, two weeks after launching the company, to be on the cover of the Boston Globe business section. And that piece alone led to 10,000 in sales. So we had already become profitable, which was exciting. How does all of this feel? Because you've used the word path a couple of times. When you first got started, could you ever imagine this was where you would end up? Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. These days, more and more people are working from home. When your computer breaks down, you lose business. This is Dave Elmajan, president of TechHelpBoston.com. Our tech experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer. Same day, next day, and weekends too. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted us since 2000. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. Definitely not. I think part of the beauty of art lifting is we never overthought it. We were willing to follow this winding road. For example, when we started the company, we only sold to individuals. But then after running the company for a few years, we realized, oh my gosh, all these office spaces and hospitals and hotels need bulk art. We learned from that and switched our focus. I believe that art is one of the truest methods of storytelling. Do you believe that? I certainly do. What are some of the stories that you've seen come out of these pieces of art? One artist, Scott Benner, he says he experienced, quote-unquote, the perfect storm. He was a steel worker his whole life. Had six figures of savings. You know, he had done everything right. Like many people, during the recession, he lost his job. So he was searching and searching for a new job with no luck. Then he got Horner syndrome, which is a disease that makes you unpredictably dizzy and confused. So all of a sudden, he couldn't even apply for steelworking jobs. If a bout of confusion hit him while he was operating heavy equipment, Mm. he could kill someone. And then his wife got cancer. So this was all within two years All of a sudden, they were both unemployed, had really extreme medical expenses. Long story short, he went through his six figures of savings and ended up homeless. He had a really tough time for many years, but the beauty of his story is how his unseen talent came out. He has the most (laughs) attention to detail that I've ever seen. One of his pieces, it's just with a pen and paper, took 1,300 hours to create over the course of six years. And his career as an artist has really taken off since he started working with art lifting five years ago. Is he able now, as an artist, to support himself? Yeah. He has housing. His wife survived. He has sold to Google. He sold originals for as much as 25000 He even licensed his art to Starbucks to have his art on Starbucks gift cards. So he's a a real success story. You know, I watch your face, and obviously we're also on camera so that people can watch us on YouTube, but I watch your face, and we just had a moment where when you were telling me this story, you know, I'm starting to tear up thinking about how this man thought his life as he knew it was over. And because of art lifting and because of this path you're on, His whole world has changed. How does this make you feel at the end of the day when you come home and you have a story like this to tell? 
It makes me feel energized. Scott and I speak a lot together, you know, in front of big crowds at corporations. And a lot of times when he's saying, you saved my life, it makes me feel uncomfortable, (laughs) to be totally honest. It's so empowering to see the domino effect. We were recently speaking to the chief financial officer and his team at Merck, a pharmaceutical company in New York City. And Scott's Uber on the way there, Scott was sharing his story and the Uber driver stopped the car. And he said, I had no reason to live, I thought. And now hearing your story gives me reason. Like, Thank you so much for sharing it. Things like that make me just feel so empowered of there's this endless domino effect of positivity that our artists are giving off. And speaking of the domino effect of empowerment, what is the cycle of empowerment? I know you talk about this on your website. We think about not only empowering our artists to earn much needed money and build confidence, but also seeing that impact on our corporate clients. Um, Because all of a sudden, if they're having a really bad day and plan A has not worked and they see a piece of artwork hanging above their desk that was painted, one of our artists actually paints with his wheelchair because he can't use his hands. So he has a canvas on the ground beneath his wheelchair. Our clients can think, well, Eric Santa Maria, who painted this piece, plan A didn't work for him either. But then he decided to keep pushing and go for plan B. Adversity, I believe, is a great teacher. And there are often times through sadness and loss that you see the painful truth in these pictures. And that's pretty much what you just talked about, the wheelchair on canvas. What happens to a person? And I know you've seen this, so I want to know what it looks like and feels like. When you feature their art, When they go to your site, they see their work, or if it's hanging on somebody's wall, what does that do for their self-esteem? It's been incredible to hear the impact on our artists. Before art lifting, my clients, when I was doing social work, would tell me, you know, Liz, everyone always defines me by the negative of you don't have housing, you're in a wheelchair. And our goal was to flip that on its head and instead define people by the positive of you're so talented, you created this. And that really simple concept has worked. Our artists tell us that now I have reason to get out of bed in the morning. Now I have reason because I know that someone sees me as someone who's creating something that's valuable. And that makes me want to keep creating and keep pushing. I believe that our upbringing definitely shapes and molds us. You've mentioned that your mom is an artist. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your your childhood a little bit? So I grew up just outside of Boston, driving to school with my mom or dad, listening to Candy O. So this is a pretty (laughs) surreal moment right now. Thank you. And as I told you when we first met, I never get sick of hearing that. So thank you very much for saying it. Um... I went to Catholic school, grew up with a really tight-knit family. I'm the youngest with two older brothers, so they pushed me around in a good way. Made my And one of them you're still able to work with every single day, so things must have gone well, right? Exactly. They made my skin a lot thicker. What was the message in your house about work ethic, about what matters most? Talk to me about that. 
My parents are both entrepreneurs. My dad started his own law firm and then switched to become a professor about 15 years ago. My mom had different craft businesses growing up and then about 15 years ago started her own interior design firm. I'm kind of the exact combination of them. My dad, the last 15 years, has been a professor in business ethics, and she's a designer. So the combo led to art lifting. How do you define creativity? I define creativity as a way to express yourself with no bounds. You appear to me to be someone who feels things very strongly. You're passionate. You have deep compassion. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? My family is incredibly loving. My grandmother, I'm so blessed to still have in my life. She's 89. I think she's a big, big impact on that. Has she been a role model for you? A huge role Tell model. Me how? She's one of those people that has been through so, so much. She lost my grandfather about 30 years ago. She had breast cancer twice. When I was about 12, she almost died. She was in the hospital for about four months had 15 feet of her small intestine removed. Despite everything that she's been through, she's just incredibly upbeat, always focuses on the positive, and that's something that I've always hoped to live up to. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I do a lot of yoga, so I think that makes me a little more zen. <laughs> but when an obstacle's in my path, I just think about all of the different options and also try to put things in perspective. I'm a huge fan of positive psychology, mm -hmm. which focuses on, like, every day, write at least five things that you're grateful for. That really helps if I am running into a challenge at work or my personal life. I'm like, well, this really isn't the end of the world. Today, what are the things you are most grateful for? In general, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to get to work with artists every day and also be a bridge. All of our clients desperately want a way to give back in a tangible way that isn't, you know, handing someone money on the curb. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be that bridge. I read somewhere that you said you've learned they're not asking for a handout. They're just asking for an opportunity. You're a social entrepreneur, so I guess my big question is, how do you keep up the energy? How do you persevere to get your message out there? Because for you, it's a business as well. It's also about the bottom line. You, though, want to change the world, one artist at a time, it seems. So you've got the altruistic piece, and then you've got the business side. How do you balance both of those? It was a real no-brainer to me. Before lifting, I had about eight years' experience working with nonprofits, and I felt like I always had my hand out, needing a grant or needing a donation. And it was scary because I felt like, well, what if a recession hits, and then all of a sudden the donations dry up, and then the cause dries up. From the very beginning, we created Artlifting as a for-profit, for-purpose business. We realized, one, we have less risk in terms of we don't need donations, so we have less risk of them drawing up. But second, I could really full-time focus on the mission and not be distracted by fundraising. The business model has it built in, in that artists earn 55% of the profit from every sale. So the more money we make, the more money our artists make. So there isn't really a conflict there. Win-win, right? All exactly. over the place. Do you love what you do? I love it. 
Speaking of having reason to get out of bed in the morning, that's mine. Share the best piece of advice, personal or professional, you've ever received, Liz Powers, in your life. The best piece of advice I've ever received is just do it. Don't overthink. Start one step at a time, and action is what makes a difference. The two things that I focus most on are gratitude, as I mentioned, and also living with intent. We all have stories to tell. And when we tell our stories, we pass along some wisdom to other people, and we give each other a roadmap. And there might be somebody out there who's listening to our interview saying, if she can do it, I can do it. And that's the magic of this show. Final question then is, at this moment and at this time in your life, what does success mean to you? Success means to me today building a profitable business that can impact artists, but also change stereotypes and change perspectives along the way. If I were to go to artlifting.com, which I suggest everybody do who's listening to our show, and purchase one of those pictures that just has been blowing my mind, I hang it on my wall in my studio. How do you want me to feel? I want you to feel energized. I want you to feel like anything's possible. Thank you so much for being on The Story Behind Her Success, Liz Powers. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, She'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?